Hello, and welcome to Heart Points, a one-to-one RPG actual play podcast. I am your husband and GM, Zach. And I am your wife and player, Diana. And this is episode three of Fall of Magic. How are you doing, my darling? I'm doing okay. Uh, last time we talked, I talked about how I just discovered, like, Portuguese pop. Yes. I... I fell down a hole of Korean pop again. Oh, of course you did. I somehow went from Portuguese pop to Korean pop, and now I just, I have the same Korean song on loop in my head. I don't know what it means. I don't remember who sings it, and I don't know how to look it up. (laughs) So it's just in my head now until I find a new song to earworm its way in there. I'm so sorry. I'm living in a Korean pop self-made hell <laughs> that I put myself in. So, but otherwise, I'm fine. You can oh, you can do what I've been doing and just been binging a bunch of uh, Girl in Red. You've been listening to one song called "Summer Depression." It's so good. Though. And the only words I ever catch are "Summer Depression," and that's it. It's the only words I catch over and over again. And so that is also weirdly looped in my head. So I've got Korean boy band pop and summer depression. Like, it's not a good... They don't remix well. <laughs> they don't me- remix well. And Well, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> so Actually, hmm. both of those things are your fault. How? In what way? The Korean... K-dramas started because I started watching anime, and I started watching anime because of you. Mm, I see. You're just going to blame all your problems on me. Yes, I am. Anyway, let's play this game. We were at the mouth of the deep. <laughs> uh, so we are playing Fall of Magic. It is a GM-less game of traveling across a fantasy land. As magic dies, Dinah and I are guiding a young 10-year-old Magus to the place where magic was born. I am playing Vago, the Raven of Ravenhall, who is supposed to be cunning, but for some reason I am incapable of doing that. So he has not been very cunning. He's mostly just been sad sad and goofy. And Diana? I am Fawn, a giant of Mistwood. I am about 7'5". And she was supposed to be a little bit more tortured and i'm playing her as less tortured more i need to bring happy to everybody which is not tortured i love fawn and i love all of her scenes that's because i'm a genius it's true oh please when we last left off we were at the mouth of the deep and we are at another crossroads as to our options for moving across this map Yep. So uh, it's my turn. Are we ready to get started? I believe so. All right. Let's go. So the Magus and Vago and Fawn um, camp out at the mouth of the cave overnight and both Vago and Fawn sort of expressed their concerns about this this cave, uh, which is titled The Mouth of the Deep. And when Fawn went in, she saw evidence that this that what is called the Deep Way was carved by a giant pickaxe at one point. 
right? Or what appears to be what a, appears to be what appears to be a giant pickaxe. So both Fawn and Vago have been pretty creeped out by the mouth of the deep, and so they are pretty unhappy when the next morning the Magus gets up, pats down his little pants, turns to them and says, "All right, let's go in." and turns and starts walking into the deep way. And they make their way to the Hanging City. Dana, how did you read Upside Down? I cannot read any of this. I'm better at reading Upside Down. I'm so uh, bad at it. Is it the teacher in you? Can, we can turn it side. No, I think it might be the teacher in me. I'm actually quite used to reading things upside I have to give tests. And I, if a kid asks me a question, I can't, like, move it. I just read it upside down. Uh, I can read it upside down. Stop. I can read it upside down. It's fine. Are you sure? Yeah. The only thing I can't read is the titles because they're really fancy. They're the only things I sometimes have trouble with. This is all very easily read. We can try to do it sideways. I can't read it at all upside down. I don't know. I feel, like, dyslexic. I have a great many useless skills. (laughs) This one is sort of useful. I can read it upside down. Let me show off my talents. Mm -hmm. I have a stupid Korean song stuck in my head. Let me have a win today. (laughs) So the three of them start making their way down the the way, the deep way. And it isn't long before they come across the Hanging City. The Hanging City is, I think it's composed of all of these, uh, it's these walkways that are like tied to like stalactites with uh, with rotten cloths and rotten boards and everything is sort of dilapidated and wet and weak. And the people there are thin and pale from lifetimes in the deep way. And Vago has never seen anything like this. I don't know if Fawn has ever seen anything like this. I don't necessarily think Fawn has seen it, but Fawn has heard of it because she works has worked in the mines before. The Hanging City is run by a guild called the Rag Draggers. And a rag dragger is a term for a a grave digger. Is is sort of um and they're called that because of um basically when you transport a body, like you pull it on a on like a sheet to the burial place and the rag draggers here are not actually grave diggers it's just the term that they have adopted for themselves and as we enter into the hanging city i think a group of rag dragger guards or like rag dragger officials and their guards come and i think like meet us as we are making our way through the city. And I think we are not planning on stopping here. And I think they come up to us and give us a hard time. And I think they specifically want the Magus for something. And if you if you do if you come up with anything, feel free to jump in. Um, but I think they want the Magus for something and they keep trying to get the Magus to come with them. And I think they're speaking a language that we don't recognize. Um, I don't know if it's the same language as the people at the mouth of the deep but they're speaking a language that we don't recognize and the magus kind of responds to them and when one of us asks like what is going on once he finally like gets them to leave us alone 
he kind of just shakes his head and says, let's let's make our way through. I think as we are kind of moving around this city and this town, it becomes very obvious that while the cavern and the walls and floor and ceiling are big enough to hold fawn and a whole horde of giants, these buildings, these hanging buildings were not. And fawn can't physically fit into some of these buildings. She cannot, the walkways cannot withstand her weight. She literally cannot fit in this place. She cannot fit in in any of the buildings. She cannot fit, well, she cannot fit in most of the buildings. She cannot fit on the walkway. She has to climb to get into some places. It's extremely humiliating and wildly frustrating because it means that she can't be with the Magus and she can't be with the party a lot of the times because even if she can get up towards a building, she can't get into the building. These people are small They're slight. They've lived in this cave for a long time. She's a large woman, and she physically cannot fit anywhere. And she's humiliated by it. Can we unpack that a little bit? Why is she humiliated? I don't think that Fawn has ever been super comfortable being a giant. And I think she... Mainly because I don't think that there are very many giants. And giants work... They're not, like, gracing dance floors or being nobles. Like, giants work, and they have their own communities, and they're fine within their communities, and they don't mix a lot with non-giants. They do, but not a lot. And she's fine when she has a task, when she's working, because then being a giant is useful. But in this situation, she is not useful, and her otherness is staring her in the face, and it is very obvious, and she can't blend in and she can't find a task for herself. She can't be useful to this party. In fact, she's she feels like she's hindering this party by not being able to join in the customary practices of entering a new place. Like she can't mm-hmm. be received and she can't sleep in a comfortable place because she has to sleep on the floor of the cavern because she can't fit in any of in most of the buildings. And so I think she is in the one building that she can fit in, just sitting because she can't stand. It's not tall enough for her to stand in, but she can fit through the doorway and she can make her way in and it can withstand her weight. Are we staying here overnight? We don't have to, but we are guests in this place Mm. and the Magus doesn't want to be disrespectful. So we're not going in very many buildings and we're not doing a lot, but we do have to stop in some places. We don't want to be disrespectful. Kind of just like checking in with the guild leaders and elders. Okay. It would be like if the Pope came to your town and didn't stop at any churches. Okay. Interesting. I think uh, I think at one point as the Magus like goes in to check in on something after like the third place uh, and Vago has like followed him and had n- nothing to do. Uh, Vago stays outside with Fawn. And I think he notices how visibly uncomfortable she is. Mm-hmm. And I think he says some. I'll be happy when we leave this place. I could not agree with you more. I think she's just really, really grumpy. Yeah. Uh, you're doing a good job keeping up with 
you know, these, these boardwalks aren't very stable and it's kind of slippery. I wish I could use my cloak in here, but he, I think he like looks over like the, the ledge and is like, uh, would not want to take a fall. No, I definitely don't want to take a fall. And this is not an easy task to complete. She's just very, I cannot, I cannot stress enough how grumpy she is. So she recognize, like, she recognizes mm-hmm. that Vaughn's making an effort, but she's not in the mood. I think she, like, elbow bumps him a little just to kind of, like, nudge him towards the Magus. Like, thank you. This is not going anywhere. This conversation's not going to, sorry, but go. Wow, that's very direct. Okay. She but, doesn't say that. She just yeah. kind of, it's just like a little, you know, it's just like a little nudge. He can interpret it however he wants, but okay. that's what she, she's just like, nudge, slight nudge. They are continuing their way through the city when they come to the vertical gardens. And the vertical gardens are these walls, these tall walls of fungus. Um, And they have this really strong, really overpowering, earthy, um, earthy, mildewy, fecal scent to them and this is where the city grows its produce and it's just like these these rows these aisles of of vast fungus growing walls that we have to walk through and at the top or towards the top are these um rows of glowing mushrooms they glow and they give off this this kind of um mellow orange light and the city uses these as as light um like the lamp posts um are are stuffed with these these glowing orange mushrooms the magus was able to like carry some sunlight in with him into the deep way but it has it's weak and it's mild and Vago can barely see in front of him unless he's like directly walking over the young Magus. The Magus asks, or I think Vago asks the Magus uh, if they can, I think he goes, um, young Magus, I'm just going to pop up there really quick and gather a few of those mushrooms. I think they'll be useful for us as we, as we exit the city. No, I don't think you should. Uh, but they're they're right there, and uh, they have plenty. There's uh, all of these walls are just lined with them. I'm just going to take just a cu- just fill my pockets. Uh, Fawn, can I have a bag? Fawn gives you a bag. It'll it'll only take me a second, young Magus. I've already told you what I think. I think Vago like makes eye contact with the Magus. He goes very well, and I think waits for the Magus to start walking, and then uh, I think Vago like walks slowly for a little bit um lets fawn and the magus get some distance between him and then puts on his cape turns into a bird uh, and flies up and gathers some of these glowing mushrooms and puts them in a bag uh and then drops down just as uh, as fast as he can and uh in the sack you can't really see the light he like pulls it really tight and he leaves it like, I think he, like, tucks it under his cloak, and he rushes to catch up with Fawn and the Magus. Fawn definitely noticed, but doesn't say anything. I'm good to move on unless you want to do another one. No, I'm, go- I'm okay to move. 
as the Magus, Fawn, and Vago make their way out of the Hanging City, they come to a crossroads. But the Magus doesn't pause at all, and he takes the left and he starts walking or he continues walking um he's been very purposeful in all of his walking like there there doesn't seem to be any hesitation in him in this cave or in this um the deep way he doesn't seem to have any hesitation he's not really consulting with us at all on the way he's just kind of going and we arrive to um the sea of salt and what we see is this massive like almost lake but on top of it is these what look like crystals they're these giant crystals and they are formed in a very sporadic and erratic way across this lake and it is it is almost like a it it looks like a coastline and the ocean are these crystals and as we kind of come across it, we notice that the stalactites above it are sort of slowly dripping onto these insanely large crystals. It's pretty clear that what's dripping is what's creating these crystals okay. and, and what's growing them. The magus starts to walk onto the crystal lake sea oh okay he's walking across it yeah i mean there's not like straight across it but this lake is very large like like eerie like it's like a great lake oh shit lake. so we're gonna be caught wait it's i mean what i'm trying to say is it's not like a little lake in your mm-hmm. backyard like it is it's it is, it's large it earned its name the sea of yes. salt yes and we're walking across it yes is it just flat sea and then these huge crystals i'm imagining a lot of these crystals some of them are really big some of them are smaller okay it smells like the ocean i'm gonna start with at rest who you miss the three of us are trekking across the sea of salt and we're walking for uh, a few hours um before we come across this this massive um, huge crystal that we decide to stop and rest under. And we don't like make camp. We don't set up a tent or anything. Uh, we just kind of sit and sink into the salt and uh, just kind of rest our legs for a little bit. And Vago reaches down and he picks up a handful of salt and he runs it through his, his fingers and he thinks of Professor Tiva, who was his uh, divination teacher. He looks over at the Magus, who I think is like looking across the Sea of Salt very sternly, ready to continue moving on. Uh, Vago thinks about how Professor Tiva came to him and found him and took him to the university. And Professor Tiva is the one who set him up and and brought him there and gave him room and board and gave him an education. And I think he thinks to one moment in which Professor Tiva in class said something to the effect of, um, 
or no, I think he overheard Professor Tiva talking to another professor saying, Oh yes, he looks very promising. I believe he could even become the next Magus if he works hard enough and if the stars are right. I will keep consulting the readings. And Vago at like 12 or 13 is like so excited by this and, and so like interested in this. I think he looks over at the Magus and he says, um, young Magus? Yes? Is is Professor Tiva still at uh, teaching young students at Ravenhall? Yes, I believe so. Have you had him? I have not. Oh. Well, hopefully when we get back, you'll be able to meet him and we can... He's a, he's a good teacher. I've heard that. Makes me feel good to know that you think that, though. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your advice, I guess. Okay. As we are resting under this giant crystal, Fawn kind of does her stare into space thing that she did when she first entered into the cave. Mm-hmm. And she is sitting in a way where she can see the giant crystal. She doesn't have her back against the giant crystal. She can see it. She's kind of staring off into space and she's staring into this crystal. And she starts having this very weird feeling come over her. She's staring into this crystal and she's having kind of like a daydream. But she has no control over this. And she's kind of watching it in the crystal. But it's also not in the crystal and in her mind. It is a very strange feeling. And they're just like flashes. Quick two-second flash. Then another scene is a two-second flash. And it's very quick. Much like a dream. Things happen very quickly. And you kind of understand what's happening. Even though they aren't happening on screen. She's back in the mine with her mother when her mother is hurt. But instead of the Magus saving her, it's not her mother who's hurt. It's somebody else who's hurt. Her mother is fine. Then she's at home with her mother in the kitchen making food and Fawn is laughing. And Fawn is on a date with a giant boy and her mother is cooking dinner for all of the family's members to come together and and meet. And Fawn is with friends laughing and playing. And Fawn is blushing because this boy has kissed her on the cheek. And, And it's these scenes and these flashes of what her life... It's not what her life could have been. It's what she knows her life would have been if her mother hadn't gotten hurt. It is a life full of joy and happiness and love and it is not what her life is now and she knows in this moment she feels that she knows that because all of those things are what her life would have been she will not have any of those things in the life that she has now this is all happen it happens within just a few minutes it's very brief but it happens very quickly and very intensely for fawn what we see is Fawn kind of staring off into space, staring at this crystal, and then she gets up very fast and starts breathing very fast and goes to the Magus and says, when can we move on? Uh, I think the Magus looks up 
at Fawn and then looks over to Vago and says, Vago, are you ready to go? And Vago nods and stands and the Magus stands up and brushes the salt off, looks up at Fawn and says, we can leave now. Are you okay? Yes, let's go. And I think she just starts walking. I think At least the, a little way. Yeah. Uh, I think Vago and the Magus exchange a look and then start going. I'm going to do another location here. As the group is making their way, they're, they're just walking over this dry, hard salt. And they're walking so long. It's also, I imagine... It's cold down here, right? We're beneath the earth. It's I'm, I, I mean, it could. I guess it could be humid if there's like a hot spring or something. Yeah. But I imagine cold. Yeah, I think it's cold and it's mostly very dark. And they're just walking. And after an hour or so, Vago notices that there's salt in his shoes. And then realizes that the soles of his shoes have worn through. And he, I think he stops and he groans and he like unties his shoes and he like puts them in a sack and he starts walking barefoot and the salt starts tearing at his feet and burning and he curses uh and he sits on the ground and he tries to brush it off of his um scraped feet and i think fawn and the magus are like walking ahead of him and vago kind of swears a little bit and decides to put on his cloak and turn into a massive raven and he flies low for a little while but it freaks him out that he can't see he can't um he can't see where he's going and even though the sea of salt is vast and looming he can't fly when he can't see so he lands by the Magus's light, and just as a giant raven sort of hops along um, with his thick calloused raven feet. Bago keeps hopping along as a massive raven, and Fawn and the Magus are kind of walking along, and we come, we all come to this part of the lake where there's just stuff. There's just a lot of stuff here. It seems that this is things that travelers have kind of left to the wayside because it was too heavy for them to take. Caravans have kind of left things here. There's even broken carts and vehicles and modes of transportation here. There's just a lot of like stuff. It's kind of like a things graveyard. And we kind of automatically just start picking through some things. I imagine that uh, Fawn looks at Vago in his raven form and says, there might be shoes here if you want to look. I think Vago just like cocks his head in that bird way and like hops over and starts like picking through with his beak. Mm -hmm. And Fawn is like replacing stuff that needs replacing and, and finding better versions of it or looking for it. As Fawn is going through some like a an overturned cart that had boxes of things. She's kind of going through the bro- boxes, seeing if there's anything that would be useful or not. And she finds a map. Nope. She finds 
a scroll, very, very old scroll. And she picks it up and she starts reading it because it's so old. It looks so much older than everything else here. And on this scroll, as she's reading, it appears to be a story about the wizard, the very first wizard, the wizard that befriended the giant, the very first giant. And this story, if it is a story, talks about how the wizard met this magnificent beast and how this beast was going to be so useful to the wizard and how this beast was going to make magic more powerful because of her ability to find magical ore and all he needed to do, all he needed to do was continue to maintain this beast's trust to use this beast to her fullest and complete potential it is kind of cut off and it's hard to read because it's so old it's in a language she doesn't really understand she can only kind of understand every other word and it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to piece together but she gets the distinct distinct the distinct feeling that the first wizard is talking about what she thinks is the first giant and how he essentially was going to work her like you would an ox on a farm and she what we see is Fawn quietly roll the scroll up and put it in her bag and move away from the wreckage and patiently wait for Vago and the Magus to join her. I think as she's moving away from the wreckage, uh, you hear Vago go, I found shoes! Uh, and I think he like runs over and he has like this a pair of moccasins and he goes, Look, they're almost perfectly preserved in the salt. It's a pretty good find, eh? It, that's a great find, Vago. A little big for me, but I'll just put on another pair of socks and I think I should be all right. Are you okay, Fawn? I think he sits down and he's like trying to put on these moccasins and like tie them as tightly as he can. I think I'm just ready to get out of this lake of terrible salt. <laughs> but I'm glad you found some shoes. I was worried about your feet. And I think that they move on. At the edge of the Sea of Salt, it actually comes to... Or actually, no, I think within the Sea of Salt, there is a lake. Like an actual like water lake? Sort of. Oh. It is wet salt. Um, there is too much salt for it all to dissolve. It is oversaturated. But there is a water lake here. And I think um, you can hear water dripping from the sky onto the salt lake. But it's just, it's just this gritty, salty lake, essentially. And as we approach the lake, there is a single lantern lit. And the Magus gestures for the other two to follow him and he starts walking towards it uh, i think vago like leans over to fawn and is like i don't think i want to meet whoever would live out here i definitely don't want to meet whoever lives out here but there is a bridge of boards uh, leading to a large uh, like 
thatch hut in the center of of this super saturated salt lake and it's quite large and there is i think um you can see in the light of the single lantern smoke rising from it and the maga starts kind of walking over the boards into this thatch hut and the other two follow and inside is an old woman with her white hair pulled tight and uh, she has thick goggles over her eyes. I think that she is a looming presence. She is like a decent six feet, mm-hmm. I think, and, and ancient. And she's tending to the fire when the Magus arrives. Do you want to play the Magus? Sure. Hello. I hope I didn't catch you by surprise. No, no, not at all. The salt told me that you were coming. She gestures to some um, some woven rugs and she says, take a seat. Thank you. I am the, the Magus. Magus. I assumed you already knew. These are my traveling companions. This is Fawn and, and Vago. I know. I think the Magus just kind of inclines his head as he takes a seat. Uh, I think she says, the catch was decent today, so we will all have something to eat. I am hungry, so this is fortuitous. Um, And I think she comes, uh, after a few minutes, she comes with a bowl of this very, very salty fish. Is it bacalhau that hasn't been? It is, yes. That hasn't been soaked? Yep. And uh, she shares it with us and offers us a place to stay in her hut for the night. And I think the Magus, um, no, I think she says, you are welcome to stay the night, Magus. The salt sea is very demanding of travelers. Thank you for your hospitality. It is much needed. Of course. Do not like this crone at all. And he has a scene. I think Fawn helps the Magus kind of get settled for the night, and assuming Vago gets himself settled for the night. Mm-hmm. He's wrapped in his cloak. <laughs> um, and Fawn walks outside. She needs a moment. She had a very stressful time in the, the salt sea, the sea of salt. And um, I think she just kind of goes outside and takes a deep breath when the crone mm-hmm. um, approaches her. No, Fawn um, feels the crone approach her. Okay. I think Small Talk asks her, why do you live here? I felt a calling when I was young to leave my home and see all the majestic things that the world had to offer. I learned many trades and skills, and finally I made my way here to the deep way and the salt sea. It is not much anymore, but it is a place where I can be me. How did you know we were coming? The salt tells me, my dear. The salt tells me many things. It is wise and powerful. 
It exists before us, and it will exist after us. It is the crystals in our souls. Do you know about the things that are in that scrap area of the sea salt? Uh, She lets out like a cackling laugh, and she goes, The refuse of those who would try to best the salt sea. I'm familiar. Traders and caravans and warlords who make their way here and must give up what they treasure. I found something there, and I don't know what to make of it. Do you want to ask the question before you roll? Do you want me to roll? Yeah. Because it's your response. I think the question is, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if it's what I think it is. And if it means what I think it means. The truth you won't believe. She says, she looks at the scroll and she shakes her head and lets out a small chuckle. And she goes on, this fairy tale is the stories that men who think themselves to be strong tell themselves to secure themselves of their strength. Do you understand? No. They believe themselves, those who tell these kinds of stories, to be masters of over-dominion. It frightens them to think that there are things beyond their control, things that can be cooperated with and loved rather than commanded. And so they tell themselves false stories. Do not pay mind to this fairy tale for an insecure man's delusions. And Fawn takes the scroll back, folds it up, but or rolls it up, but she keeps it. And she puts it in her bag. So I think... um. I'm also doing the moon pool, a question for the pool crone, because it is my favorite (laughs) location, I think, in the whole game. And I think this is a shorter scene. The next day, after we have done all of our... We've packed up. We were all feeling very refreshed. We're feeling alive. Uh, The crone has given us something disgusting for breakfast. And uh, I think we're... We're, we're packing up, we're getting ready, and Fawn and the Magus start start their way across that, that bridge of boards. And I think Vago hangs back a moment, pretending to fiddle with something, and once the Magus and Fawn are out of earshot, he turns to the, the pool crone, who is um, just kind of watching him, and he goes, um, do you think you, you read the salt, right? Yes. I can't do her voice like you do. Do you think I would have made a good Magus? Oh. (laughs) She looks at Vago, and I think she stares. She doesn't blink. She doesn't move. It's like she's frozen in time. And she just stares at Vago. Vago looks back at her for a moment and then kind of shrinks under her stare. And he looks down at the floor, and then he looks at her again and sees her still staring. And then he rushes out. So I think that that is it for this week. I think so, too. It's getting good. Those are... We had 
good some good scenes. Mm-hmm. I love this game so much. Thank you all so much for joining in this week and listening to us play Fall of Magic. We really appreciate it. The next episode will probably be the end of our... I don't know about that. We might have two games of this left. Oh, okay. This is this is taking longer than I expected it to. Okay. Maybe it'll be the end. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Adventures. Adventures ahead. Um, we want to send a very special thank you to our editor and producer, Zach B. If you didn't hear our dog making really gross noises, which she always does during recordings, I don't know why, um, you can thank him. If you didn't hear our weird side comments that we kept making throughout this recording, you can thank Zach B. Really, honestly, without him and his efforts, you guys would be listening to pure garbage. So thank you, Zach B. Uh, we also want to thank In Love with the Ghost for the use of their song Chilling at Nemo's Place off of the album Healing. You can find In Love with the Ghost at inlovewiththeghost.bandcamp.com. Please find us and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Um, subscribe to us. Let us know that you like us. Leave us a comment. Tell other people to do the same thing on all of those same places. Every little bit of sharing and liking us and subscribing to us and rating us helps us and means a lot to us. So please, please, please go ahead and do that. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HeartPointsPod. Please follow us and join us for discussion about RPGs and podcasts, and make sure to share us with everyone you know, especially your RPG-loving friends. It is the best way for other people to find us is if you tweet about us as the best way for us to grow. It's one of the best things you can do for us. Um, it means a lot, and uh, if you could just take out your phone right now as you hear my voice and just send out a tweet saying that you like the show and that you've enjoyed it so far and what you think of uh, our playthrough of Fall of Magic. The second best thing that you can do for us is become a patron, if that's something you're, you're interested in. We do want to thank all of our current patrons and former patrons and soon-to-be patrons, wink, wink, um, for allowing us to keep this show going. If you want to become a patron of this show, all you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash hardpointspod. You directly support the show and you help us make it better by getting better equipment and also telling us that you like it. You are also going to get some awesome rewards like access to our patron-only Discord, a monthly campfire pod, and some other great thanks. Every little bit helps. All of the shares, all of the dollars, all of it helps. Uh, Recently, I think last week or two weeks ago, we sent out a copy of uh, Hungry Knolls, a one-page RPG that I wrote to all of our uh, 1D8 level patrons. So if you want to check out an advanced version, an advanced draft of uh, a game that I wrote about disgusting knolls talking about food, uh, make sure to join our Patreon. Sounds so fun. <laughs> we played it. I know. You did very well. I you did. did surprisingly well. I'm very good at disgusting things. It was it was very interesting. This week, we want to give a very special thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, every one of you make a huge difference. Uh, you help us all so much. We want to just say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. I also, before we sign off, want to make sure that we shout out Ross Kalman, the designer of Fall of Magic. I'm not actually sure if we have shouted him out yet, um, but you can find 
Ross Cowman online, and you can buy Fall of Magic at Heart of the Deernicorn. That's heartofthedeernicorn.com. Thank you all so much for joining us on this adventure today. As you return to the real world, we hope that you continue to have a very nice day. But like a very, very nice one. Mm-hmm.